0: amen well it's good to worship you can grab a seat real quick i want to tell you about something that's not unlike what we just did and as we prepare to give here in just a minute i want to tell you about an opportunity you have as the church to be the church right here in our community one of the hallmarks for us of of our church is what we call zeros and some of you are familiar zero unchanged lives that's kind of what our driving vision is but underneath that are a lot of other things and one of those is zero needs among us helping with god to identify what are the needs in our community and how do we go meet those in a quick and agile way and one of those was presented to us last summer at a Byron Days event. And so the parade happens right down here and uh, it's exciting, it's fun, it's like the best of small town America, all of it wrapped up in a one weekend, I love it. Uh, I got to be a part of it last summer as a new resident. One of the things that was approached to, uh, people that approached us was the director of that and asked if we'd be willing to do something that no one else would do and I said, That sounds like a church thing to me. I don't know. It sounds like a Jesus type thing to me. And so we help clean up trash and do some other things. And this year we're kind of ramping that up to do even more and to kind of expose our community to the church as well after the name change and all the stuff that we've gone through. And so that you're going to see more information coming about that in the next couple weeks and opportunities for you as a church to worship Jesus through serving our community and the people that live in our neighborhood and so I just want to put that on your radar be praying and thinking about that July 28th is the event it's a Saturday and so if you're in town and you want to get your hands a little bit dirty and you're not uh, shy for a challenge um, you're perfect and if you're like I don't know what you're going to do but I want to serve you're also perfect like you will fit what we need and so we're looking for a small team to be part of that But as we give today, um, it's because of your generosity that we can even do stuff like that, that we get to serve in this community in such ways and to keep ramping that up just one more degree every time. So thanks for your giving and being faithful in that. I'm going to invite our ushers forward as we take this moment to give and to worship through it and to recognize that Jesus, out of his generosity to us, allows us to partner with him in mission through our generosity so I'm going to pray real briefly and then we'll jump into this morning's teaching so father again thanks for making us aware that you're with us thanks for your generosity to us and we pray that you'd multiply what we give today that you'd help it to go farther and that every one of us would sense your pleasure in us as we give generously and cheerfully we love you and thank you for this time in Jesus name amen amen well, again, it's summer. I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad you're with us. Um, we want to continue to make spaces like this, even throughout the summer, in which your schedule may be as crazy as mine and maybe gone here and there. Uh, but wanted to just make you aware that as we continue to do that, uh, this series could be, for some of you, very life-changing. And I know for me, as I've even studied and prayed, that's my prayer for you. And I know Jesus wants that from us, I don't know if this summer you're maybe doing some housing projects, right? Maybe some renovations. Maybe some of you are getting the landscaping kind of sorted out. Maybe you installed a pool and you're trying to figure out all the ins and outs of that, how to make it the most comfortable experience ever. But I don't know if you ever sat and just observed houses, but houses are funny things. Now, here's why I say that. Houses are funny things because we invest thousands, if maybe some of us tens of thousands, in making our houses more comfortable. Now, again, they're funny because some of us, that means uh, better landscaping, and you drive up, you're like ah, oh, my house looks so good. You just feel comfortable as you get home from work. Or maybe for you, it's investing in some new furniture this summer. You're figuring out, how do I get rid of the couch that's sort of old so I can get a new couch? Like, how do I make an Ikea trip work in my daily schedule? Like, how do I do all those things? Others of you, it's installing, like, some electronic uh, thermostat and all that, and you've got the Nest app on your phone. You could tell me what temperature it is in your basement as if I care. Like, you could do that if you want. Like, that's your prerogative. Uh, And and why are the basements always so cold anyway? Like, have we not figured that out? Like, let's figure out a way to regulate that. That's a side note, different sermon. But what's funny about houses to me is that really, I don't know if this is true about your house. I know this is true of where I live, is every time I walk in that door, I just feel different than before. I, I walk in and there's a sense of, like I'm home. Like it's good to be home. Some of you traveled already this summer. There's a certain feeling that you get when you walk back into the door and you're like vacation was good, but man, it feels good to be back, right? You maybe have gone on some business trips, very similar feeling. You had a great time away, maybe you nailed that deadline and the team is happy and excited, but you get home and it's like, oh man, this feels good, like you hit the deck or your pool or wherever you like to nap like I do and uh, you just enjoy being comfortable I don't know any other way to put it and as you step in a room like this one of the first things that I noticed was the AC was gone and I appreciate that I am comfortable because of that something happened about a year ago in my life a year ago we sold our house to move here to Byron Center A year ago, the house that we had put about six to eight months of renovation and new flooring and more comfortable furniture and all the things that make a house a house, we signed it away to someone else, and now they live there. So about a year ago, that happened, and uh, and I've got to be honest, uh, when God started to call us to come here to Byron Center to lead the church, there was a couple obstacles in my mind. I mean... For one, I didn't know if I wanted to leave kind of a stable job and career and and do that and move away. Two, I didn't know any of you really, and so that was kind of weird. Uh, But third, the biggest obstacle, the kind of last thing that God had to unchain my heart from and, and Lindsay's heart from was our house. Because our house, and this is true probably of your house, our house represented comfort. It represented the grocery store, I knew all the aisles. It represented the bank that was 1.8 miles away. It represented my job, the church, which was less than two miles away. It represented all these things that made my life fairly comfortable. And I started to reflect on that as I looked at today in this series Against the Grain, which doesn't sound very comfortable. I started to look at that, and here's what I've noticed. Maybe you've never seen this before in your own life. But you've probably noticed it in other people's lives. Let's just put it that way. Is that too often we compromise our convictions for comfort. Too often we compromise our convictions. The things that we know are true. Maybe the calling God has. Maybe the kind of person God wants us to be. Or that he's forming us to be. But we compromise those for comfort. Now this may play out in a whole bunch of ways in your life. Maybe it looks like your house and the priority that that gets in your budget. Maybe it looks like your own physical health and saying, you know what? It'd be good for me to go to the gym, but man, this couch is nice. Like the chaise, that weird extended thing, this is perfect napping material. Like maybe that's a bigger priority and so comfort is the goal in there. Maybe for you it even comes down to Uh, your own sexuality and how that's expressed and how those things are wrestled through. Maybe it's with your own schedule. Maybe it's how you schedule your own life reveals that there are moments and would you compromise a conviction for comfort? Some of you have friends or been in the wake of a marriage or a parenting situation that's crumbling and falling apart because someone compromised a conviction for what was comfortable, for what was easy, for what in some ways felt innate. Now, if you dug deeper into the core of that, you'd find people who compromise convictions for comfort in areas of their own soul. And that plays itself out in apathy or an aversion to risk or a lack of trust and dependence on God because it's more comfortable, if we are honest, to do it our own way. It's easier for me to live life according to my agenda rather than listening and following and discerning where Jesus might be leading me. And there's a question I don't know if you've wrestled with this question I don't know how long you've thought about this question or I don't even know if that this kind of question is on your radar but I would love the answer I would love to know the answer if you have it I'd love to know it and this is the question how do I resist compromise if if we know that deep down in our own souls, that the conviction is more important than my comfort. And I think most of us would agree with that, that the core convictions that guide our lives should be more important than the comfort that we might feel, that we should pursue. That the conviction is more important than the comfort. But many, many times we don't resist the compromise. We slip into the comfort and ditch our convictions along the way. Well, you have probably faced situations not unlike a teenage boy named Daniel. Now, this teenager, I don't, you may be familiar with this story. Maybe you've read it before. Daniel, a teenage guy, is around 12 or 13 years old, wrestling with all sorts of weirdness in his life as puberty and adolescence have a way of doing. Like, he's just in a weird place. And one day, life is normal. The next day, his hometown is sieged by another nation. And they end up taking this young kid named Dan hostage. They take him to this other nation and decide that he's going to work as kind of a servant in this local government. And he's torn apart. Families are ripped apart. But Daniel was sharp. Dan had an intelligence about him. He was wise. He was way mature beyond his own years. He was good looking and handsome, which was a bonus. Like, but Dan was taken especially aside by the king. And he faced many decisions in which he could compromise his conviction for comfort, but he didn't. He knew the answer to how do you resist compromise. And you can actually read his story in Daniel 1 in the Hebrew Scriptures. You've got a Bible or a device, you probably can find it. Like in Daniel 1, this is what we read about this guy who knew what it took to resist compromise. "...to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, guys, teenagers like Dan. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The goal was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians." So the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Judah representing God's people, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, catch that. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. I can't even spell my own name. Like, come on, man. That's, that's a tough one. That's going to, like, crash our block system if you try to track in your kid with Belteshazzar. That's not happening. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Here's the key. Daniel, verse 8, resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And we're going to stop the story there and the rest of the series we're going to unpack what happens as a result. There's a couple of clues that set up for us in the text some tension. You know any good story, right? There's a there's a tension, there's a problem that needs to be solved and you want it to be resolved. It's called dramatic irony when you're reading a story and you know the solution or you know what's about to happen but the characters inside of the story don't know. And the writer here's giving us clues into Daniel's life, this young teenage boy who has an opportunity to compromise his conviction to God for his comfort to make life easier for himself, but he resists. In verse 2, you you could see this, and at at first pass, it's not a big deal, but as you read verse 2 again, you see, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is God's people, it's God's doing, into the hand of an opposing nation, Babylon, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Here's why that is important. Not only were these people besieging God's city and taking God's people and taking people like Daniel hostage to then be forced into servitude in King Nebuchadnezzar's courts, they're actually desecrating God's name as well. They're going into the place of worship and ripping out the things that would have symbolize God's power, his majesty, his transcendence, his holiness. And they're essentially putting them in their own treasure house to their false god, which is Marduk. And so it's a big deal for Daniel because Daniel grew up recognizing that the temple, this place of God's holiness and his majesty was incredibly sacred, was incredibly significant to God's people. And so they come in, they take these articles, throw them into bags and dump them out in their treasure house along with everything else that would have been common after they sieged a city. They're desecrating God's name in this city. In verse 4, you see that there are some qualifications. Again, setting up the tension here. That David, or Daniel was a, a young man. He was handsome. He had incredible intellect. He was smart. He was clever. He was a wise. He was a mature young guy. He was incredibly sharp. And so they pick him out along with some of his buddies. Picture the, the moment. And which you get highlighted as you're being held hostage to say, hey, we want you guys to come with us. Cool, like, they're game over. Thanks a lot, man. Like, you're hitting all your friends. Like, what would you say? Like, but they're taken, and then they get kind of plopped into these king's courts. And as they're in the king's courts, they become what would be called courtiers. And courtiers are essentially young men that would be mentored, developed, raised up, So they would one day begin to lead in government positions. And so Daniel is one of those guys. The king of Babylon had highlighted people like him. And Ashpenaz, kind of the chief official over these courtiers, highlighted Daniel as being one of those teenage boys that he wanted to mentor and develop. So he sets him aside. And what happens next is every teenage boy's dream. Look in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Think about your favorite meal. Seriously, think about it right now. I'm getting a little hungry. It's 1039. A little rumble here. Okay. So think about that as a teenage boy, and you have the opportunity, even though you're in a new place, to get your favorite meal, the best food, the best drinks For three years straight, every single day, life made. Like, right, life goal complete. What more? If you've got teenage boys, there's literally no question there. There's not even a decision between conviction and comfort. It's like, yep, I will have that. But what's happening in this story, and Daniel picks this up is that for these three years, every time he took a bite of one of those meals from the king's table, again, if you're an underline or a highlight or circle person in your Bible, from the king's table is one you want to acknowledge and notice. But in there, he has a decision that every time he takes a bite of the king's food in Babylon, in the opposing nation, Daniel is saying, I'm pledging allegiance and loyalty to the king of Babylon instead of the king of Israel, our God, the one true God, Yahweh. It's a big decision. That's a little thing, right? You wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. If you're in this situation, you're like, well, at least I'm going to make something good out of this situation. I got three years to go crazy on this food. Like, That's not too bad. Like, it's better than hometown cooking. Like, I'm going to go to the king's table. I'm going to eat my fill. But Daniel doesn't do that. He does not compromise. And what we see is that it continues to get worse. It doesn't get better. In verse 6, we see that Daniel's renamed to Balthasar, and all of his friends are renamed, all of these new Babylonian names with references kind of embedded in them to false gods. Again, taking steps away from their conviction to follow the one true God, to, to put their allegiance in him, and to choose what is comfortable, choose what is easier, and choose what is natural. And no one would blame them for it. None of us would sit there and say, Daniel, you're crazy. We would all be like, eh, that makes sense. Like, just go along for the ride. But Daniel doesn't do that. Look in verse 8, and this is where I want to sit for a second. Verse 8, Daniel resolved, purposed, determined. He resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Did you see the word that's used two times in one verse? What is it? Defile. It's this word defile or pollution or actually the connotation, the imagery here is sitting at a garbage dump with a fork and knife and eating that. It's like, whoa, it's the king's table. Like, chill out, Daniel. It's not that big of a deal, right? But that's what's happening. He's saying, I recognize that this is going to put me in a compromising spot. And I'm going to choose my conviction over the comfort of the king's table. And I'm going to resolve, purpose determined, not to defile myself. And he goes as far as to approach Ashpenaz, this chief official, and say, just giving you a heads up. I follow the one true God. Uh, can I have permission not to eat from the king's table? And Daniel's story, as we'll find in the next couple weeks, isn't exactly really easy. It's not simple. It's not really kind of like the guys, sure, like why not? Do your thing. And there's some turbulent times coming for Daniel. But Daniel did not compromise. Daniel's story reminds me of of a penny. This one cent, this small coin. Now play this out with me. If you walked into church this morning, and I walked out 10 minutes before, because you're all here 10 minutes before, right? So I'm kidding. Sorry, that was bad. That was a bad pastor joke. We're going to throw that one away. Move on. Pretend that never happened. So I walk out a few minutes before I throw some pennies in the in the driveway. I throw some in the parking lot. And as you're driving in and you get out of your car, you may notice one. You maybe have done this recently at Meijer or any, any other store really that you walk into. And you notice there's a penny there. How many of you really are going to step aside and grab that penny? Very few of you. And Pennies are, I think about them this way, when you're in the Wendy's drive-thru and the guy's handing you your change back and some pennies fall through his fingers, I'm not, I'm not moving my Baconator to go down and get those pennies, right? It's just not happening, I don't care that much, like pennies are just a small thing and when you look at Daniel's story, it was kind of the same way, he had a lot of penny decisions, But did you know, I don't know if you drink pop or not, or if you're anti-pop, but I'm just going to use a pop illustration regardless, is that Coca-Cola, so play this out with me, if Coca-Cola raised the price of their 12-pack of Coke cans by one penny, they would make an additional $45 million a year in revenue. Now, some of you aren't buying it, so I'm going to move on to something else. And uh, maybe you've seen this next logo, before mm, it just brings a warm sense of calm and comfort over me. I don't know about you. It's like if Donald Trump was here, he'd be like, "Those are the Lord's donuts." Like that, he would definitely say something like that. Like he is full in. Like he is not shying away. He's a Krispy Kreme guy. I know it. But when you walk into a Krispy Kreme and you open that box where everything is glowing. And it's like little angels are smiling at you, like there's a little radiance just coming from every dozen donuts that they put out. But if you open that box, and that box kind of cost you one cent more than it did the last time you were there, Krispy Kreme would gather an additional $27 million just from those dozen donuts. Pennies matter. Those little decisions actually do matter. Some of you work for multi-million dollar companies in which a penny here or a penny there in a budget has some massive implications for the product, for the building, for your organization as a whole. Pennies do matter. And Daniel in this story has some penny moments. He has penny decisions, right? None of his friends would really, again, shy away from, man, King Sable, three years, I'm in. But Daniel says, no, I'm going to resist compromise. And he points out this plan for us. And maybe you today have looked back at your life, maybe even sitting here and God's voice is speaking to you and and helping you recognize that maybe there are places that, that we compromise our conviction for comfort. Maybe there are areas of your marriage in which you compromise conviction for comfort. Maybe there's situations as a parent or a grandparent in which ah, I'm going to compromise conviction here because it's way more comfortable. Maybe there's an area of your life that God is calling you to. Maybe it was a dream that you had, and yet you compromise that conviction, that dream, that calling for comfort. Whatever it is, Daniel gives us a strategy to resist compromise. He gives us a way out. He points it, and maybe, again, you've noticed this. Maybe you've never... Seen this or acknowledged it before, but Daniel says if you want to resist compromise and instead you want to live out of your convictions and not pursue comfort, here's what you will do. You and I will make a decision to stick to our convictions even when, even when, even when they go against the grain. Stick to our convictions even when they go against the grain. And friends, let me tell you, they will. Following Jesus is not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult. And even in our cultural moment, you see there's kind of like this pressure building when it comes to even our own faith in Christianity. Friends, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult, and that's a good thing because what it forces us to do is make a decision. Will we stick to our convictions or instead pursue comfort? And Daniel's plan for us is saying, No, no, no. Friends, stick to your convictions even when they go against the grain. Stick to your convictions even when parenting in a passive, hands-off way would be easier. Stick to your convictions even when being a part of, of some other organization or other business that would just be easier for you but wouldn't be the right thing for you would be easier. Stick to your convictions in your marriage when someone tries to step in, or a Facebook message comes in from an old acquaintance, stick to your convictions. When there's opportunities at work to join in, to put other people down, to maybe knock at your employer or gossip about an employee, stick to your convictions. When you as a student have opportunities to cheat in school to cut corners in a project, stick to your convictions. When you have the opportunity to manipulate people, and situations and circumstances to get your agenda complete rather than what you know God would want stick to your convictions John is a pastor when there's moments in which you could compromise conviction for comfort stick to your convictions that's Daniel's plan it's his way out for us and and I believe and I know Jesus is building his church in such a way and that we have not experienced this here in America to the degree that our friends and brothers and sisters around the world have experienced it. But it reminds me of Russell Moore's quote. He wrote the book Onward, talking about Daniel and the decision to, at times, stick to our convictions when they go against the grain. He writes this in Onward. A Christianity without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies. Let me say that one more time. I want you to understand what he's saying. A Christianity that's without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies. Russell Moore is an intense guy. That's an intense quote. But what he is saying is that if you want to live the life Daniel ends up living and see God move in the way Daniel sees him move and see miracles happen in your life, to see your own life go deeper and deeper in alignment with Jesus you will have to stick to your convictions even when they go against the grain and that's not always going to be welcomed no one's going to give you a, a kind of pass on that maybe it's at work or at home or in other places but a Christianity that's without friction in the culture is a Christianity that dies and so if you want to learn to stick to your convictions and not compromise for comfort if you want to follow Daniel's example if you want to live the way Daniel lives here's what you will do starting today because many of us are not facing situations which were hostage in a foreign government and have to live out our Christianity in a place that wants to persecute us now we're part of a global church in which that is the reality for a majority of Christians in the world but we don't live there and so where do we start If that's not us, where do we start with this? And here's what I think Daniel would tell us. You have to know your convictions before you will stick to your convictions. And that starts by just articulating what those are. It starts by either writing them down or saying them to a trusted friend or spouse or or talking to a mentor about what those convictions are. Because when the situations come, those against the grain moments come, you've got to stick to your guns. But you don't do that if you don't know what they are. You've got to stick to your convictions. Maybe for some of you, it's making a definitive statement about your marriage or how you will parent or how you will follow Jesus or what you do with your money or the kind of person that you're becoming. Stick to your convictions. You've got to know them. Maybe for some of you today, it's in this moment. It's tomorrow. It's tonight. It's maybe in the morning when you do your chair time. That's when I'm going to do it. But writing down three to five convictions you have. Just Stating what they are, just sharing what they actually are, articulating them somehow so that when those times come, you can stand firm. You can stick to your convictions even when they go against the grain. Think about the beauty of our church right now, the place that we are in. As I look around the room, the faces who for some of you over a decade have stuck to your convictions that our community needs a vibrant church that's serving, that's loving, that's raising up kids and students, that's preaching God's word faithfully, it's worshiping recklessly at times. Like I look around that as, as we stand on the shoulders of some of you. It's because you stuck to convictions even when it was against the grain. There were moments you could have quit and thrown in the towel and you haven't because you believe that zero unchanged lives is the vision, it's the goal, it's why we do what we do. To so all that to say, so what? I mean, what really is at stake? Because Daniel's life, again, you can read through this story. I would encourage you to read before you ever show up on a Sunday to this. But as you read through the story, as we journey through this series, as we're kind of exploring his life in the online justice journey, which you can still join on Facebook today, as you look through those things, what's at stake here? Why does this really matter? And what would Daniel tell us about, oh, guys, you need to do this, you need to hear this, you need to, to learn this, and if you follow his plan, you'll see, because if we fail to do that, if we instead compromise convictions and instead choose comfort, choose an easier way, choose the maybe kind of sort of Jesus way at times and maybe a little bit of John's agenda or your agenda mix into that, we will begin to sacrifice the wrong things. We will feel a life that's depleted and empty and exhausted. There's a life coming that would be way easier to to quit on your parenting, to quit on being a good steward of your finances, to quit on your marriage, to quit on really investing in the next generation as a volunteer, to quit on all these things, to become lazy, to become passive, to stop confronting and telling the truth in love, but just avoid conflict at all costs. All those things will start to happen in your life, slowly but surely, if you do not stick to your convictions. But instead, and if Jesus was here, he models this, that if we choose to stick to our convictions, even when they go against the grain, we are signing up for a life of deep and bold, courageous followers of Jesus, of joy that you can't control or bottle or buy. Of the supernatural being worked out in your life, of sensing God's voice and his pleasure over you, Uh, of serving at things like Byron Days in a couple weeks with just a joy and a contagious passion that people on the parade route are like, What is happening? What did John feed them prior? Like, what, what is going on with these people? Like, that kind of joy in serving. A life of adventure, not boredom. A life of passion, not fatigue and laziness and apathy. A life that's full. A life that knows and understands and lives out of the gospel. That's the kind of life. And friends, where this is rooted, it's not Daniel's idea to lay aside comfort for living out a conviction. It's God's idea. Jesus in Philippians 2, we read that. He laid aside his privileges. He laid aside his comfort and took on the form of a man and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that every tongue would confess and every name would bow and get on their knees before him and declare he is Lord. He humbled himself. He laid aside his privilege and comfort because he was convinced and had a conviction that you were worth it. Some of you forgot what loss felt like. Some of you forgot your pre-Christ days. Don't forget that. Live out of that gratitude and that grace and your life will be different. Stick to your convictions even when they go against the grain. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that just because you have even been speaking in, in my own life, that you're probably speaking to some of us in this room who if we decided today to stick to our convictions in our workplace, in our marriage, with our kids at school, that people would begin to notice that something is different. People would begin to notice that Jesus is actually the, the central figure, the centering person in our life and they would probably start to ask questions that would require us to have courage and boldness but they would also start to ask questions that would maybe lead them to life help continue their relationship with you so god i pray for the person today who has compromised who's trampled over convictions in pursuit of comfort God I pray that as the psalmist prays that you would restore them with a clean heart that you'd bring purity to them that they would sense that you are at work in them recreating them God I pray for the person this morning who sits through services like this and worships and gives and maybe even serves and hears your word has chair time here and there but has lost a sense of adventure that living against the grain brings, has lost a sense of passion, has lost a sense of holy risk that following you brings. I pray the same thing, Lord, I pray you'd restore passion, restore joy, restore boldness to them. Help them to live a life that's against the grain that does cause some questions does cause them to more fully rely on you and your Holy Spirit speaking. Finally, God, I just... Aware that people are at all realms of the spectrum of following you. Some of us are still asking questions. Some of us don't know where we are. God, I pray for that person that today, that they would be convinced that you love them enough to lay aside your own comfort and privilege and equality with God. Didn't consider it something to be grasped at, but laid it aside because you had a conviction that every person was worth your love. Every person was worth the cross and every person was worth you defeating death for them. I wonder even in this room and this is off script but I wonder even in the quiet of this of this moment and as we pray with heads bowed and eyes closed that there's someone here today and I sense that there is that that God's been speaking to you to take a step of commitment to him and fully surrender your own life maybe you've never done that before never said God you have my full allegiance all other gods fail and pale in comparison to you and and I want to follow you like Daniel did And if that's you, would you just slip your hand up really, really quick. And I just want to pray over you or as a proxy for someone that you know. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. God, I pray that as we recognize that you pursued us at all costs, that you followed us, you sought us out, you chased us down in some ways. That because of that, we can lay aside our comfort and live the life you call us to. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.